everyone. I'm Alexa. And I'm Catherine. And we're the girls behind Tickets, Please. And on today's episode, we're talking about this year's Best Picture nominees. So through a much arm twisting from my mother, I watched The Last Duel. (laughs) (laughs) I heard it was very good. It was amazing. (laughs) Wait, is it nominated? No, it totally was ignored ridley scott needs a vacation honestly when i was going therapy what i was going to say is suck it ridley scott a millennial liked your movie okay that's what i'd like to say on the podcast because i thought it was great i really loved it doesn't matt damon have long scraggly hair i mean he i don't think i can do it and i sore i it's really tough to (laughs) look at him (laughs) but the story is amazing. The The performances were incredible. Ben Affleck is hysterical, which I didn't expect. I didn't think that any part of the movie would be funny, but there are many funny things that happen. Um, it's it's It was a very interesting story. It's, it's told from three of the characters' point of view. So you see the same thing kind of play out three times, like Rashomon. And it was really good. And then it all As comes. If I know what Rashomon is. You you don't know what uh, it's a it's a very famous uh, Japanese movie that is. <laughs> but people use it as like a thing, you know, like Chekhov's gun. Like that's people use Rashomon as a yeah. thing because it just represents that kind of storytelling where you see the same thing happen from five people's points of view. So that's what this is. And it was really good. Adam Driver, of course, delivers an incredible performance. Didn't even know he was in it. He is one of the three points of view that we see. And it was surprisingly very good. Cool. Good for you, Ridley. I thought Here's it was your your boring as sin, but it really wasn't. Cool. Oh, yeah. You don't like movies like that. Yeah. You still period. haven't even watched The King. I haven't, which actually, when I was watching this, I had the thought, I should watch The King. I really should. You should. It's only for Timmy's bowl cut. Period pieces are normally tough for me. I I have trouble getting into them, but this was great. It made me really rethink my stance of not liking them. I'm in a period piece vibe lately. Ooh. I've watched Pride and Prejudice, Marie Antoinette, which I know doesn't totally. Well, mm-hmm. no, it is a period piece. Anna Karenina. Ow. I'm also going to make you watch it. Great. I don't even mean suggest it. I mean, literally make you watch it. All right. I'll trust you. Um, you should slip the last duel in there to your period vibe. Ew, I do not want you to say it that way. <laughs> you should slide you into the... anything in there. <laughs> you should slide Ridley hair. Scott's the last duel. <laughs> it is incredibly violent, though. So at the end, it's incredibly violent. So I don't know okay. if that's your vibe or not. It's fine. I'm fine with violence when I when it fits the story and I know it's coming. That's fine. Yeah, you get it from the very beginning. But there's it's be just when it's surprise violence. You get the heads up from the title. <laughs> <laughs> Fight to the death. <laughs> right, to, right in the name. Question, but is a duel always to the death? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you didn't know, the last duel certainly is. <laughs> It could have just been called the duel. 
it's for somebody it's the last no matter what because now i think if someone i guess if someone were to have a modern day duel it wouldn't be to the death but historically a duel is always to the death (laughs) so then it should have been called somebody's last duel (laughs) (laughs) an introspective title (laughs) adam driver or matt damon (laughs) i already know who dies you do? Matt Damon has to be the one because of his hair. <laughs> Nobody with hair like that lives to see the day. Hey guys, so just a heads up that all the movies we're going to be talking about are spoiler-filled discussions. And what was your song? You were saying that you had a particular place that you wanted to start. Because I have a lot to say about every single one of them. So wherever you want to begin is fine by me. I am dying to start with West Side Story. I have a long list of notes. So I don't know if you want to kick it off with your thoughts. Well, I have a feeling most of your notes will be negative. So I guess let's just get that out of the way. And then I will talk about why you're wrong. (laughs) Well, I first have a question because I think you said to me that your opinion of it was going to be different than what I assumed. My opinion of the original is different than what you might assume. I do not like the 61 version. I find it a bit slow. It was a little boring. I've only seen it once. So maybe it wasn't like a fair shot but the 61 version i'm not a a major fan of so this one you were a major fan of this one i was a huge fan of (laughs) god your face (laughs) the first thing i wrote down is (laughs) i was like 90 seconds in and thought to myself god this thing is probably two and a half hours and i looked down and it's two and a half hours so by the way not everything i have to say is negative well that's good to hear I haven't seen Ansel in anything before this. Okay. My initial thought in the very beginning, and I didn't think this again, so maybe it was just the angle on the moment, but he looked like Patrick Swayze for a second. Ooh. And I was very into that. Okay. Then I quickly realized that he's completely dead in his eyes. Yes. And is a paper bag. Yes. Well, you know what? He's not even a paper bag. He's a piece of paper. Okay. Well, first of all, I do. We do have to throw out there that Ansel Elgort has a complicated, controversial real life experience. So we definitely have to just call that out because not, he's had a well, lot. Of, I don't even know if experience is the right word. I don't know. He's, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of controversial stuff surrounding Ansel Elgort. Allegations. He's a piece of garb. Yeah. So, and... He's the worst part of the movie. By far. I agree with you. Although I will say when I, after I finished it, I read some articles about it and reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff. And what I saw multiple times was people saying he can't sing. And I I, kind of disagree with that. I do disagree with that. I actually, because Tony's songs in the musical are my favorites. And I thought I enjoyed them. 
I thought his voice was really nice. I thought I felt so too. I thought something's coming and Maria were great. I it was the only time I didn't dislike him. Yes, actually. I I enjoyed his singing and I didn't mind the balcony scene. But other than that, it was really he's bad, really bad. <laughs> the next thing I wrote down was Spielberg with the reveal. The way Rachel turns around when we first fully <laughs> see her, I think I audibly gasped. The second I saw her, I was like, oh, she's Maria. There's no question about that. Five minutes into the movie, I had recalled the times we've had a conversation about how Spielberg doesn't have a style. And I was like, we are wrong. Spielberg's style is his shots are incredible and he makes you feel like you're there. This is shot so beautifully. Some of the most complex movements of the camera and the use of light and color the direction was out of this world it's some um, honestly and this is a crazy statement from spielberg it's some of his best work ever i'm going to have to agree with you in terms of the shots and the use of color yeah. and feeling like we're there yeah the f- the first scene uh shoot i don't know all their names what's That's maria's okay. brother's name bernardo bernardo The first scene where we're seeing Bernardo in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. I actually thought, I feel like I'm there. Yes. And it had such a beautiful visual tone to it. Yes. And then you get to the dance and the colors of of the lens flares at the dance. Yes. I could have lived there. It's so dynamic and there's movement and not only in the action on the screen but in the camera and it could be overwhelming but it really isn't the the movement of the camera perfectly accentuates what you're supposed to be seeing and experiencing and feeling in all of the numbers and in all of the acting i thought it was incredible i thought when the first time we heard maria sing Mm. i thought she is absolutely radiant she's incredible she's incredible She took some songs that I don't even like and made them amazing. I feel pretty. I hate, hate, I hate that song. I was captivated. I thought she is so perfect. She embodies Maria in such an all-encompassing way. She is, I could not take my eyes off of her. She was so, she fluttered through the scene in such a beautiful way. Her voice was so beautiful. I can't stand that song and I was enjoying every minute of it tonight was absolutely incredible oh my god it was so good it was his best moments i think it was captivating to me and you know that that never ever happens ever happens so that's saying a lot the very final line of it when they sing and when you dream dream of me It was amazing. It really was. It really was. (laughs) Oh, that song, Boy, Boy, Crazy Boy. Oh, my God. (laughs) was the most homoerotic thing I've ever seen, ever. (laughs) And I loved every second of it. Boy, boy, crazy boy, get cool, boy. What's that actor's name? 
Um, who plays Riff? Yeah. Mike, I don't know how to say his last name. Feist? Because he was amazing. There is not a musical ever in the future that should exist without him in it. Yeah, 100% agree. (laughs) It should be a requirement. And then finally, the thing that I thought about for every single moment of those two hours and 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. the accents, dear God, why? (laughs) What? I read that Spielberg hired a consultant specifically to work with them Uh so that they sounded like New York, Puerto Rican accents. They do not. (laughs) Listen, I'm white. So my opinion doesn't matter here clearly, but I went out of my way to ask multiple friends who are Puerto Rican, Dominican, Guatemalan, who are all from New York. And they were like, no, does this sound like a New York, Puerto Rican accent? And all of them were like, not even close. I don't have an ear for that ever. So I have, I didn't even think about it, but. And listen, if we have any New York Puerto Ricans listening here who disagree, please let me know. I'm I'm not the final word on this, but (laughs) I was horrified. I, I, the, the Spanish nor the English were accented correctly. Then on top of that, the New York accents weren't correct. The New York accents were bad. And. Ansel is from Manhattan. Yeah. Are you okay? What are you doing? I don't know. Even if he's supposed to speak with a New York accent that's different than his natural one. Right. Did you not grow up here? What are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, have you not been surrounded by this your whole life? How how do you think that's what it sounds like? For the record, he sounds like he's from Manhattan when he talks to his normal, like his normal, like I don't know why his normal speaking voice would have been fine. He sounds Just like he's take from New your York. normal speaking voice, turn it up two notches yeah. and we're good. Because I get it. They were trying to go for like a... It's a, it's an exaggerated, like a jazzier version. Yeah, it's definitely, um, that's the tone of West Side Story is that it's, you know, like a really accentuated accent. But I mean, you have the accent, dude. (laughs) You talk like that. (laughs) (laughs) But what's so weird though, is how, how did it get past so many people being so wrong? Like if he hired someone specifically to work with them and to, to test the authenticity, why is it so wrong? Two thoughts. One, maybe I'm incorrect. I'm leaving room for that. Mm-hmm. But two, how many of these people are New York Puerto Ricans? That's true. Spielberg certainly isn't. <laughs> that's so. That's true. I don't know. <laughs> the acting, all of okay, their, besides is- Ansel... All of their acting was great. Yeah, everyone was incredible. I want to call out specifically Ariana's per- performance as Anita for a couple of different reasons. First of all, her acting was just amazing, but I loved what she did with the character of Anita because in I've seen a I've seen two stage iterations and then the movie. And Anita usually is very feisty and hot-headed and and has like an edge to her that Ariana chose not to bring to the character. She was much warmer and softer and just, you really got her the emotion behind. Cause I mean, honestly, normally Anita's experience is overshadowed by the rest of the story. The fact that she's in love with Bernardo and wants to be with Bernardo forever. And then he dies. That's kind of not always the focal point. And when she sings a boy like that and, um maria sings i have a love that scene was 
incredible. I watched it three times in a row. I loved it because you really got for the fir- for the first time, in my opinion, I saw and understood Anita's experience behind this story. I think she played her with an enormous amount of depth and dimension. Yes. Bernardo, too. His mm. the actor that played Bernardo was incredible because, again, the, Anita and Bernardo are ostensibly like the antagonists to Maria's wanting to be with Tony. She's supposed there's supposed to be obstacles in the way of her being with the person she loves. And so they are usually much more angry and hot headed and feisty. And they say like quick little quips, but they and they're were, really just there for that purpose. A hundred. Yes. But they were real people with real emotions and had a real story that was happening simultaneously to the Tony Maria story that I absolutely loved. Normally you like hate Bernardo when you see him in the, in the movie, but I did not hate this Bernardo at all. Yeah. I loved it so much. And then Rita Moreno being included was so cool. And I loved when she sang. I with time to spend time to learn time to care we'll find a new way of living we'll find a way of forgiving She was so cute. She was so cute. (laughs) And it was, it must have been so surreal and, and cool to be part of both movies. I just realized how many years it's actually been. 60 years in between. Yeah. How old is that woman? (laughs) Let me check. Also, I cannot. I cannot hear her name and not think of Mitch from Modern Family saying, I traded a football for it when I was nine years old, and my dad was mad because the football was signed by Dan Marino. I said, get it signed by Rita Moreno, and I'll keep it. She's 90 years old. She does not look 90. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. Not only does she not look 90, but she doesn't have the energy of someone who's no not at all wow that's amazing another issue that i had was that i didn't find tony and maria's love story believable at all it it felt like they saw each other and there was that initial attraction Mm -hmm. yes and then there it was a snap of a finger and they were in love whereas in romeo and juliet even though it's basically the same amount of time i personally feel how it's possible that they fell in love that quickly. And in this version, I didn't feel that. And I think it's because of Ansel. I agree. I agree completely. I think their chemistry was just not there. And I think it was because he was just not bringing it. I think I do agree with you. But luckily, there was so much else to love about it that I didn't. It wasn't so much of a con that it made me dislike the movie because so much else was so great that I didn't mind but you're totally right because of that by the end i left it feeling sort of empty Mm. it didn't do for me what it was supposed to do yeah i think i hear what you're saying the only reason that i think it did not leave me feeling that way is because at the end when he dies the emotional payoff is is totally in in rachel zegler's hands that 
I didn't, I did feel it because I thought her reaction and her performance was so good that I was able to get there emotionally, even though he didn't do it for me. I couldn't because I couldn't believe that she would have felt that way, which sucks. That does suck. That cast carried him on their fucking backs. Once again, (laughs) carrying the mediocre white man on their backs. Fucking shocked. (laughs) When I was reading about how bad he was, Mm -hmm. um, there was an article that mentioned how few choices there were for someone to play him. Really? Because they wanted someone, because Rachel was unknown, Mm -hmm. they wanted someone who was a quote movie star, which by the way, I don't think he's he's a movie star anyway, but they needed someone who was a movie star okay, who could also sing and dance and who was young enough. And that cut out a lot of people. They they basically said the only other choice would have been Tom Holland. And while Tom... I think has the talent and the ability. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would have been right for it. I don't think so either. But Ansel wasn't either. No. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> you mentioned the use of color. I know we touched on that a little yeah. bit. There's so much more to say. The scenes where they're in the chapel, I guess it is. Yeah. With the stained glass. It was so, I just got to chill. I don't, did they do stuff like that in the 1961 version or is that Listen, I don't a specific trash, Spielberg choice? I don't want to trash talk it, but I just didn't find it to be at all vibrant or dynamic as this one was. I, I know people have a real special place in their heart for it. I just was not, It, in my opinion, no. But that could just be my memory of the movie. Maybe it's also your memory of them using brown face. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> or I was like, saw it and was like, mm, no thanks. <laughs> but, and I loved the scene where they meet and they're behind the bleachers. Yeah. The the, the light of like yes. their eyes and the blue color of like the stage background. It was it so was good. So beautiful. So beautiful. And then um, um, the whole America sequence was incredible and the colors in, in everybody's dresses and of the the clothes that were hanging on the clotheslines and everything that went into that number. I just loved it. I thought the ensemble dancing was the choreography and the staging and the sh- shooting was so good. It was mm-hmm. shot because it's so easy to mess up a musical when it comes to filming it. There's like so few good ones. People often make the choice to just shoot it very flat and not have a, a, a dynamism that this did. And it's so easy to step over the line and turn cheesy, yes. especially with that much color. Yes. And this was not. No. Both because of the caliber of the choreography and, as you mentioned before, the way it was shot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to appreciate about it. Yeah. I'm glad. this. I, I'm happy that you were able to get some stuff from it, despite the fact that it's already difficult for you. I knew, I actually was not going to be surprised if you were like, watched a little and got the gist and then stopped. I wouldn't have been mad even because I would have, I mean. I this wish, is, this I, is wish an, I knew that going in. This is an intense, <laughs> this is a very, for someone who doesn't enjoy musicals, this is like musical with an M. This is like a very intense <laughs> yes. musical. This is like it's not like la la land where it's like yeah there's a lot there's a lot less singing this is like every two seconds they're singing it's all big it's all very extreme (laughs) so this is this was a feat for you to get through i'm sure do you feel like it deserves a best picture nomination yes
So Nightmare Alley. Um, my, if I had to summarize my feelings into two sentences or one, I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it. It held my attention the whole time. I thought there were ones that didn't. I was never bored. I liked it, but I found myself at the end feeling surprised that it was nominated for Best Picture. I knew nothing about the film noir. I almost called it a genre, but I actually realized I, after watching this upon my reading that it shouldn't be called a genre. It should actually be called a period. Uh, I had no familiarity with it whatsoever. I don't okay. even think I've ever seen that type of film before. Mm, okay. I knew I knew what people meant when they said that. Right. Sort of generally mm-hmm. the tone and the feeling, but I didn't know anything about it and the way they typically, ha- what they typically do to the characters and how they usually end. Mm-hmm. Now that I've read up on it, it makes sense. You saying that, that is why it was nominated. It's a per, it's a really, really good modern execution of a film noir. That's, that's why it was nominated. I think it's, I think it's contribution to the period and it's like modernization of a, of a classic noir is probably why it was given a nomination. For people who are not familiar with what that really means, can you give a summary or do you not want to be put on the spot? Sure. No, I can. I mean, I'm by no means an expert. They're not my favorite. I've seen a bunch just from being in school and having to study it, um, but it hasn't stuck as much as some other stuff has. Because, But typically um, they star a man that goes through an arc and usually ends not so great for that man. <laughs> and it's usually by virtue of a woman or a femme fatale is, is a, is a key archetype in noir is usually that's where that comes from is from noir femme fatale, meaning that the woman is what brings down the man usually as it should be. Yeah. Please. Which this definitely <laughs> did that. Kate Blanchett was born to be in a film like this. And born to be a femme fatale. She is the yeah. modern femme fatale. <laughs> she is. She really, really is. <laughs> and then also they usually have a, uh, a stylized look. They're usually dark. They're gr- they usually take place in a setting that's a little grimy, a little back alley kind of feel. They're shot darkly. They're not, there's not a lot of color, not a lot of light, a lot of nighttime scenes, a lot of street scenes. There's usually a city component that goes into noir and that is present here too. It really is. Yeah. The silhouette of Bradley Cooper in that hat. (laughs) (sighs) Loved it. (laughs) There were parts where I thought, holy shit, this is good. Mm Mm-hmm. And then other parts where I thought, I absolutely hate this. <laughs> <laughs> what were some parts? That you so by the end, I was exhausted. <laughs> the whole thing with the geek, which obviously is a pivotal yeah. plot point. It couldn't have not been in there, yeah. but it just made me sick to my stomach and really upset. Yeah. Anytime he w- it was even mentioned, let alone on the screen. Mm-hmm. Did you know when the when um Willem Dafoe's character, I have no idea anyone's names in this at all, when Willem Dafoe sat him down and explained how he gets someone to be a geek that that was going to happen to him in the end? I did not. Oh, interesting. Because to me, it was, uh, I, I knew there would be no purpose to put that in there if it wasn't going to come back in the end in some way. How do you ever get a guy to geek? Oh, I ain't going to crap you up. It ain't easy. You gotta pick up a broken drunk, a real alky, a two-bottle-a-day full seat. Pick him up from where? Nightmare alleys, train tracks, flap houses, you name it. 
A lot of folks came back from the war addicted to the poppy, the booze. Now, opium really sinks its claws, but you reel them in with booze. You tell them, I got a little job for you. It's a temporary job. Make sure you emphasize that. Just temporary until we get ourselves another gig. I figured that it would tie into the story somehow, mm. but I didn't think it didn't occur to me that that he would be that he one. would yeah which looking back on it it's yeah. extremely <laughs> obvious <laughs> but <laughs> like how how did i even miss that but no i didn't know but you did know that he was going to say that kate blanchett had a pistol in her purse i'm dying to know how you knew he was going to say that is it the reason that he gives cuz he explains almost what, yeah not visually not that her her per- purse looked heavy or mm-hmm. anything like that but that I knew it was going to be something unexpected. Uh-huh. I knew it would be something that drew shock from the crowd. Mm. And I could tell the kind of person that she was. So I just knew that that's you knew what it, that it would be, be a pistol in her purse, especially because of the time period where it took place. Mm. I don't know if it's just because of portrayals we've seen in movies, but I feel like women of that time, especially with her kind of presence, always carried a little pistol with them. It was so, so cool and cute too, by the way, when he pulled, when she pulled it out, it was really <laughs> cool. It was when he said it and that's what it was. And I was like, yeah, I know. And then I texted you because we don't talk about these movies before we get on this recording, right. but very little things we might text each other in between. And this was something I texted you. Did you know that that's what it was going to be? Because it was I knew with such certainty that I assumed it was something that we were all supposed to know. And you said, no, I didn't know. No, I didn't think about it. (laughs) And I was like, well, (laughs) then I should be on that stage. Yeah. I told you, you should be a a mentalist. (laughs) (laughs) And then I said, or I should just be Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll take both. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another, you asked what made me hate it. Um, Yeah. I don't necessarily disagree with the choice, but I hated the um, up close visuals of people's heads collapsed in. Yeah. And all the violent stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even someone like, for instance, in a Tarantino movie, like violence it up. This was your goal. I don't have a problem with it. You're going for it. Go for it. Mm -hmm. It just, it just was a little more than I needed than I needed to see. I agree. I was going to warn you about it. The only reason I didn't is because I felt that it was so like telegraphed that it was going in that direction that I knew that it wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't surprise you. So I wasn't yeah. going to like tell you ahead of time. Cause I knew that the scene would tell you that that's where it was headed, but you're right. It was a little much to see. It was. And I understood when he beat that guy to death. Um, I understood that. Of course, part of it was because of his father issues and he was transferring his relationship with his father onto every older man that he knew, but also because he said he had hurt young girls. So frankly, like, good, do beat him to death, please. (laughs) But I just don't want to see every second. (laughs) I was surprised when the person that he had um, interacted with before, when, when she shot 
her husband and then herself that actually did catch me off guard. Like I knew once she spoke and said, like, I've been thinking about what he said and I knew what was going to happen, but it, I gasped. I really was like, Holy shit. I did not think that that was where this was going. (laughs) And the way she Mary Steen, is it Steen Bergen or Steen Bergen? I think it's Bergen. Bergen, I think, I think it's Bergen. The way that she played that, after she shot him and before she shot herself, mm-hmm. the way the deep breaths she took and the and the serene yeah. look on her face was so chilling. Yes. And so well done. Yes. That's what I think caught me so off guard was I I think it actually stood out as a really nuanced scene in a pretty heavy-handed movie. Another thing, I had this moment a few times in a few of these movies. When we first see Ezra, he's unrecognizable as Richard Jenkins. Mm-hmm. The second he opened his mouth, I knew it was him. Did you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> What a weird experience, especially because for whatever reason, he's been in so many things. But for some reason, in my mind, the first character I picture him as is the guy he played in um, Eat, Pray, Love. Interesting. The first the first guy I picture him in is he's in that movie, Dear John, the one I hated, the Nicholas Sparks movie. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it. He's the father in that. And that's what I always picture. That's, that's you were my like, last Dad? <laughs> I I thought he was perfect for the role, yes. but it was really disturbing seeing him that way because that's not the type of character he is to me the the actor like he doesn't play people like that totally that was jarring and then I think the only other thing I had to say was I don't necessarily believe it deserves a best picture nomination Mm -hmm. although what you said about it being a perfect film noir makes sense but I do believe that Bradley Cooper was robbed of a best actor nomination because I think he was I think it was the best performance of his career. I agree wholeheartedly, especially because no offense to everybody else. I was not that impressed with everybody else's performance, particularly Rooney Mara. I was not blown away. So I think he really stood out because not only was his performance incredible, but I thought he was surrounded by not so wonderful. The very last scene, his scene partner, I thought was horrendous. (laughs) I hated the way he delivered his lines. I agree. But Bradley himself, when he goes from crying, from laughing to crying and. I was born for it. I just got another chill. That last scene, his the way his look when he says that is, I, I my mouth is like a gape when the movie ended. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen from the second Willem Dafoe explained how he gets, the <laughs> and I still was like, no, he's not going to say that. <laughs> I wonder what I wonder what watching the whole thing would have been like if I had known that because you must have been thinking how did how does it come back around? Yeah. Well, I also knew yes, totally. But also I knew that it was headed towards a real intense downward spiral because of this, this, the rigid structure of a noir. 
Okay. So I so, knew he was going to, I knew he was going to have a, a major, major fall from grace. I didn't know what was like going to happen, but I knew that he was going to go from like apex to totally in the gutter. This is a perfect example of the way the two of us watch movies because <laughs> not that you were trying to figure out the ending. Yeah. You just knew enough about it that, yeah. that you knew what was going to happen. And I'm often saying that I'm just bopping along and like taking it as it comes. Sometimes I bet you enjoy them much more because of that though. Sometimes it, sometimes it serves uh, me a benefit and sometimes it's a disservice that I under, that I know it so much, or I'm trying so hard to figure it out that sometimes I miss stuff. There's one that on the list that, that happened. I think, I think my way of watching it actually was probably worse. All right. Even though he was horrible, his character was a horrible person. I think, did Guillermo del Toro write the screenplay? Whoever wrote the- No, it's adapted, a remake. I know. Oh, but, okay, yeah. But whoever adapted the screenplay did an incredible job of showing us why he is the way he is, mm, how yes. deep his wounds are. Yes. Doesn't excuse his behavior, of course, of but- course. Taking all that into account, when we finally realize what Kate Blanchett's character has actually done to him, mm-hmm. even though in a lot of ways he kind of deserved it, it was excruciating. Yeah. And to that point, um, I mean, this probably has to do, by the way, he he did write it. He co-wrote it with someone named Kim Morgan. So okay. he, they both adapted the screenplay and the novel is by William Lindsay Gresham. And there was a, there was an, a, a movie a, in... 47, right? I think so. Yeah. Which is probably a regular noir. That was like the time of noir. So that was probably. Uh, Well, what I read was that apparently the film studio, because of the time societally, Uh didn't want it to have the ending that it actually had. Oh, really? This version and the novel end the same way. But the movie in 47 that came out a year after the novel Uh actually has another scene after this. Where I think, if I'm not mistaken, Rooney Mara's character actually comes back and rescues him and pulls him out of addiction and out of really, yeah. Oh, what a crappy ending! I don't like that at all. Crazy, I don't like that at all. It totally changes the whole thing. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. What I was gonna say is, um, about the psychiatry bit. Once that started, once that intru- was introduced, I was like, "Ugh, this is going to suck. It's going to be so like telling, not showing. And it really wasn't. I was impressed because because the concept of him like examining his issues on the couch with her, like being a therapist, I was thinking this is going to be so heavy handed and just expensive explanation based and it and it i didn't think that it was i didn't i thought it was going to ruin it and it didn't that scene where his father is dying on that old mattress and he leans down and says i always hated you and then he opens the window and he takes the blanket off of him another one that made me sick to my stomach yeah yeah it was so disturbing on so many levels (laughs) it really was Belfast. Sure. Let's do Belfast next. Can't so wait. hard left turn, but I'm pissed. Whoa. Okay. There are so many deserving stories that need to be told. I have compassion for all the people that were a part of this conflict for 30 years. Uh-huh. Many people died. Many people lost their families, their homes, all of that. I'm not 
minimizing any of that by any means. But this is white Protestants against white Catholics. And frankly, I don't give a shit. Thank you. That's why I hated this. I thought it was boring, stupid, pointless. I didn't get any kind of message that I was trying to get. Like, I was like, I could give two shits about anything that happens in this entire movie. And again, I already said this, but I want to say it again. This is not to minimize the horrendous experience that many, many, many people in Northern Ireland went through Mm -hmm. and, and their families that were probably elsewhere too. I, I want to be really clear about that. Yeah. But there are so many other important stories that need to be told. This was not one of them. He, you know, he wrote this in, I think six or eight weeks over the, like initial lockdown of the pandemic. Oh, wow. Really? I did not know that. He writes a screenplay in six or eight weeks and then what snaps his fingers and it's made on top of all that, the black and white get over yourself. Honestly, Some things deserve to be in black and white. This is not one of them. And so all a hundred percent feel what you're feeling the whole way. I don't think anything you just said is wrong. An added thing I think even if this was a story that needed to be told, I did not get any emotional. I thought it was actually a poor telling of that story. We didn't need. Yes, to hear. I agree. I thought, I thought I didn't feel any of the pain and suffering that those families felt being displaced, making the decision to to stick it out or to leave. I actually could not care less about any of the characters and their feelings. You are so right. The the little boy, the main boy, mm-hmm. I felt was incredible. He, he was adorable, adorable and a great actor. Yes. Other than that, I couldn't care yeah. about the entire thing. I actually didn't feel the conflict and the feelings you were supposed to no. feel to, with this at all. Even if it was a story that needed to be told, I thought it was told badly. I did not get anything from it at all. Now, what I've learned <laughs> is that even when I feel this way, there's still something to be appreciated. Yeah. I couldn't find anything to appreciate, frankly. Me neither. So I went on to Rotten Tomatoes and I said, I'm going to read some of the reviews, not only by the critics, but by regular people who've watched it. Okay. And I wrote some of it down, not long reviews, but just little things. Many people talked about how beautifully it was shot. Okay. Many people called it engrossing. Wow. And many people called it moving. Wow. To the point, the reviews were so glowing in in that way Mm -hmm. that I actually thought, is there something wrong with me? Did I miss something? No, I thought, I also felt that way. I actually attributed my dislike for it to my mood. I was like, I think I was not like in the mood to watch it or something. I don't know. I thought it was me because of what you're saying, because I read so many people talking about how beautiful it was and how simple the story was and how amazing the performances were. I didn't think any of that was true. And I was like, it has to be my mood when I was watching it because everybody else was talking so glowingly about it. Was the acting good? Sure, it was fine. But not Oscar caliber, which brings me to my next rant. Thank you. Okay, listen. Just because Dame Judi Dench decides that she's going to grace our presence with being in a movie does not mean she needs an Oscar nomination. I can't believe... That that this is real life. You were aghast yesterday when I told you that she was nominated. Meanwhile, it was you I who forgot. brought it to my attention because when the nominations came out, you put something on our stories that was like you were you were calling attention to somebody else that should have been nominated. And you're like, listen, I get it, but we do not need to give Judy Dench her yearly nomination. 
And in this this case, I actually think I this is insane, but I think it's like an insult to the category. I think to to award this with an Oscar nomination is cheapening of the of an Oscar nomination. I would really like to take this time to talk about passing. Okay. I know you didn't get a chance to watch it, it but there are a couple of reasons why I want to compare it to this. Number one, it was also filmed in black and white. Mm -hmm. Number two, it was a cast that was almost entirely people of color. It was a simple story, but it was absolutely all the things that this is pretending to be. When I say it was beautifully shot, there are still, there are still stills (laughs) in my head from passing that I see even now that come back to me. It was one of the most visually beautiful things I have ever watched. It was completely engrossing, extremely moving. The acting was, (laughs) I've been angry about this since, since the golden globes, frankly, that it wasn't nominated for best picture for any acting for best director for best cinematography, nothing. I am disgusted in a way that I only ever have been about Chadwick not getting the best actor Oscar. Other than that, I've never felt like this before. I genuinely am enraged and watching Belfast ratcheted that up. This was a waste of two hours, whatever, an hour and not even minutes of it my was life. An hour and a half. And, and I told you it never felt so long because it was just, I hated it. And I just feel so slighted on behalf of everyone who made it. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that it's a female director <sighs> and Rebecca Hall's directorial debut. And it was a fucking masterpiece. <sighs> We're allowed to hate things that other people love. Yeah. Especially when we have good reason, which I think we do. And you know what? Like, we're not critics. We're not experts. We've seen enough. Yes. We've talked about enough. We've thought about enough. And we're open-minded enough. Yes. Moving on. So next up is drive my car. It was three hours, guys. It was was too long. I'm sorry. It just was. I actually think that the length, sometimes the length is a purposeful tool. And I think that it was attempted to be, and I actually think it interfered with people getting to the point faster. I agree. Because sometimes, like Shawshank Redemption, an incredibly long movie, it's supposed to feel very long because it's supposed to feel like prison. I understand that the maybe the tool here was that it's like grief and moving through that process and all that. But I actually think that it was too slow. It could have been 40 minutes shorter. Easily, easily 40 minutes shorter. I think it just took a little too long. It actually buried some of the best scenes in the fact that it was too long. If it had been 40 minutes shorter, it still would have been quite long. Yes. It still would have felt long in the way that it was meant to. And it still would have been plenty of room for the really, really languished, slow pace that it needed. Yes. Which I totally... So before we totally get into our thoughts, I want to say that it's really important to us that we get the pronunciation of these names right, but we're very badly equipped. Yeah. So we're 
making a true effort, but if we are incorrect, please forgive us. We yeah. will continue to try to get better as time goes on. So what I was going to say is by the time we get to the scene with Yosuke and Misaki, where they're standing on that snowy hill overlooking her house that had collapsed, it's such an intense emotional release for yes. both of them, really, and such an emotionally intimate moment. The The journey that we took to get there was so arduous that by the time it happened, I only cared 70% instead of the 100% that it deserved. I agree with you, but I did still I was amazed that I that because it was so long before that moment, I I was pleased that I still felt it at all cuz I didn't I thought I had dis, disconnected from the movie honestly. I was really trying to be as present as possible. So I was happy when that happened that I really felt it. I I it felt like I finally exhaled for the first time mm. in like two and a half hours. And I thought that that, that moment made the whole movie worth it, in my opinion, because yeah. I thought it was really beautiful. And I think there were a couple of moments prior to that. Um, in particular, what I thought you were going to say, the moment that I was gripped for the first time was when Yusuke was in the car with Koji. When they got to that scene, I thought, wow, okay, I, I get this now. It was so gripping and emotional, and I and I just thought the the acting in that scene was so good that I thought, okay, I understand this now. But then again, then I was met with forty five more minutes of <laughs> right. <laughs> what during that scene? What did you? What revelation do you feel like you had? I feel like first of all, it's the first time Yusuke tells. In front of what's the driver's name? I'm. I, I heard you say it. I, I forgot. Misaki. Misaki. It's the first time he's really talking about what happened between him and his wife, and it's the first time he's saying aloud what would happen after they would have sex and and what she was like. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that was so emotional to think about how it's been two years since he's really talked about it with anybody and that he's talking about it with someone he knows was sleeping with his wife and who he saw have sex with his wife and what a moment that was for him. And then just the, the quiet devastation that he must have felt when he was sharing with him what he thought was a unique experience to him. And that she was doing it with him too. I just, I, my heart was, was broken for him. You could see it when he, uh, Koji started telling the story. Yusuke tries to cut him off and says like, I've already heard this. Like I know how it goes. And he tells what he believes to be the final version of the story only to hear that he has heard a much, much longer version. And that was heartbreaking to see happen. And so, I mean, I thought that was, one of the best scenes in the whole thing. It also lent so much more intensity to that initial scene where he walks in and sees them having sex. Yeah. Because even though we see Yosuke and his wife having sex and her sharing the stories Mm -hmm. during and after, it wasn't clear, at least to me, that that was part of her creative process. Mm, Yeah. 
So it wasn't until that scene that I realized how really pivotal and important those experiences were for both of them Mm -hmm. together. So then I think about when he walked in on his wife having sex with Koji, it wasn't just your wife is cheating on you, especially now, like you said, once Koji shares that she was also telling him the stories and that he heard the end of a story that Yosuke never did. It just, yeah, it's, it's anguish. And to learn that that was like really the only time he felt at that point that they were even connected at all, Mm. because he was talking about the, like the, the rut that they had fallen into since their daughter died. And just like how he basically admitted that like their life was on autopilot except for those times. And then to learn that they weren't even unique to him was horrific to think about. Yeah. When they get to that scene where they're standing on the snowy hill Mm -hmm. and he has that moment where he breaks open, watching him realize how angry he is with her. It was so beautiful to witness. It felt so real. Yeah. And it's such a, such an important, I think, part of grief that so many times in movies and in storytelling, we skip over. Yeah. And even in our real lives that sometimes even when we're even through experiencing grieving, losing someone, a lot of us don't even dig into it far enough to find that place, to find that feeling. And I think it he only could have gotten there because Misaki had experienced some of the same kinds of things and opened that up to him. Yeah. It's because she understood the complexity of, of losing someone that you had not just feelings of love and admiration for. I mean, she lost her mom. They also both felt a a culpability in their, in both of their deaths. Yeah. That again, another person. Yeah. Which I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't think either one of them were to blame, but. No, I understand why they yes. felt that way. And I think, again, is just an only an experience that like someone who has experienced that same thing can really yeah. empathize with. When she shares about her mom's other personality mm. and then eventually gets to the point where she says that she was her best friend and that when she left her mom in that house, she knew she was also losing her, too. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think that she realized how much she needed that until he made her go there. Yeah. I think that she had closed it off for so long that when he asked to see where she came from and she kind of was not wanting to. And and then when, I don't even think she realized like when they first even started up the hill, it seemed like they were going to stop. And then she's like, we're going to go down there. And you could tell she was discovering in that moment that she actually needed to see it too. Yeah. And doesn't she even say at first, I'm not sure exactly where it was. I think it's almost like she had disconnected herself from it so much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And even when he asks her to go there at first, she's like, there's nothing like it's nothing. There's nothing there. But she it was everything is there. Yeah. And (laughs) and you can see her realizing that as they like travel up the hill and they get to the top where she is realizing that she did need to see it and she does need that moment too. We're going so out of order here, but I re- it's a quote that I wrote down. The truth, no matter what it is, isn't that frightening. What is most frightening is not knowing it. The reason why I wrote that down is because it is like a foundational belief that I've held for most of my life. And 
so when they, when she said it, I was like very taken by it. And the reason why I wrote it down is because I wanted to ask you, is that a common feeling that everybody has? Cause I don't, I didn't want to make myself like the, I'm just like different like that. <laughs> is that a common feeling that everyone has? I've said to almost every, and this doesn't just apply to romantic relationships, but I've said to almost every boyfriend I've ever had, whatever it is that you've done, however bad it is, you're going to get a much, much better result by telling me the truth because I don't actually fear the truth. I can handle whatever the truth is, whatever life's truths are, however excruciating they are. And I hope this doesn't come back to bite me and say like, oh, you want to test? But however excruciating they are, I can handle the truth. What most terrifies me is not, for instance, getting cheated on or or blah, blah, blah. You know, like the lists of things that terrify people. Don't get me wrong. Those things all do terrify me. But what terrifies me more is not knowing about those things, is being in the dark on those things. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's a universal experience, but I know that that's a million percent true for me. I know that I have always felt like that. And I I actually think that not to be like, "Mm, like I'm better, but like, I actually (laughs) think that there definitely are people who don't think that that's true. And I have encountered those people and I have like implored them, like, trust me, it's better. Like, just say it. Like, (laughs) I don't want you to not say it. So I know there are people who don't feel that way. And I think it's an understandable feeling, but I think that it comes with, I think that it comes with just understanding what the difference is between, but because there are also people who like weaponize truth in a way that makes it harmful. And so people can be afraid to hear the truth because they are hearing it in like a different way. Mm. And because it might've been weaponized against them, even as children. Yeah, I believe I share the same feeling that you do. And I think now knowing that you share this feeling, you probably will agree with this. I think that the act of being open to and embracing the truth, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, is part of what allows you to handle whatever truth comes your way. This taps into something I have already kind of talked about with you because it leads into another movie we're going to talk about in the next part, which is that one of my deepest, deepest anxieties comes from it's so sometimes it can be so difficult to bear the truth that when it's said and then not believed, Mm. my brain like can't, I, I become like enraged. I cannot even, if I'm telling you something and I'm saying that it's true and then someone's going to tell me that it's not, I cannot handle it. It is my number one thing that I cannot handle. This scene where, where she's driving, I know that really narrows it down. And she's telling him why it is that she's such a good driver was also really Intense. Yeah. Because for, for, for so long, literally for so long, we just know that she's a great driver and it's something she enjoys doing. Yeah. And, and I didn't even think to wonder, could it have been a really intense, um, traumatic life experience that made her a good driver? Yeah. Uh, I also read something that I thought was so symbolic that I didn't even catch as I was watching it when they're driving at night and they're both smoking in the car for the first time, but they're putting their hands hands out the sunroof. I can't even articulate it. (laughs) (laughs) Like just how much each of them respects 
the car. Yes. I mean, that's why they're doing it, but also how much they respect the the connection yeah. that they've built and how precious that is. It was just so beautiful. It really was. The actress who was signing. Yeah. I would watch her sleep. <laughs> I would watch her do anything. I thought she was so incredibly beautiful. I thought her acting was. I know. She, she was amazing. Yeah. I loved the fact that that so many people involved in the play were not speaking the same language. How cool was that? It was real. Like when he cast her, I'm like, how is this even going to work? But then he cast the woman who only spoke uh, Mandarin. And I was like, wait a minute. How is that going to work? I'm like, how are these people going to act with each other when they don't even know what they're saying? And that's what ended up making it. Yeah. Like when they have that scene in the park where they're the the woman who signs and someone asks him what happened, I think, right? Someone asks Susuke what happened, yeah. what just happened, I think is what they say. I think he's like, what just happened? And he's said, like, only they know is what he tells him, which is like crazy. It's such a such a deep understanding of like art and making things and like I don't in connection. I was thinking a lot about that what the experience would be like for the audience who went to see it. Yeah. And how it's assumed that most of the audience, I'm sure probably speaks, well, of course they speak Japanese Mm because it's in Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can assume that many of them probably also speak English. Yeah. But for then to also be Mandarin and Korean, I think it was Korean sign language. Yes. And someone else actually spoke Korean and yeah. Much of the audience can't understand probably 60% of it. That is... It's so wild. I love it. And I mean, the scene right before the end, like the what I actually thought was going to be the end when she is signing around him. Yes. Was so just... I mean, it doesn't... It doesn't matter what language you speak. You could feel that. What did you think about the final scene? Yeah. I don't... I, I don't know. It felt totally so different than the rest of it. Almost like I, we exhaled at the end of a movie. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think I originally had thought it was just going to end with the play. And then when that came on, I, it really made me think about why it's there, but I think it was just an important like last step of, of grief that she now, she now has the car. He, I mean, it's assumed that he gave it to her and that, and, and she seems uh, much more at peace than she was during the rest of the film. And do you think he gave her the car because he had, I mean, you never completely get through grief, but he had essentially completed the. I think so. Journey of it. I think so. I'm so glad we get to talk about these because I appreciated it, but actually putting words to it and hearing your thoughts on it have made me understand how much I really, really did appreciate me it. too. Until I was starting to articulate that I was like, Oh, I didn't really know. I even felt that way until I <laughs> started to say it myself. Um, yeah, I was really, I'm really happy that this was included. I, I, I just, I, we've said this 20 times, but I just wish it had been shorter. Not only because I think it took away, but also because it's going to stop some people from That's watching exactly it. what I was just going to say. Like for my mom, for example, um, she, she watched the first 25 minutes and she said she turned it off. I was like, mm, I don't, I wish you didn't, but I, I don't, 
you know. Do you want to share with our listeners a little bit about if it's if you're yeah, okay to sure. go there, a little bit about why your mom is attempting to watch all the best <laughs> picture nominees this year? Yeah. So um every year I used to watch the best picture noms and the Oscars with my grandma who passed away in uh, November. So this will be the first Oscars that she won't be around. Um, so my mom has start, in her way has watched some of them because my grandma and I used to always joke that my mom never had the same opinion on movies that we did. Like her and I would always agree. We would finish a movie and then we would have the same opinion on it. And we would always talk about it when we were done. So it's been hard without her here, but I'm also really happy that we have this so that I can still do it. Um, Yeah. So my mom has been trying in her way. Most of the time she watches them and tells me she hated them. And then I have to explain explain why that's not the case. But, um, But yeah, it's really special. And last year was actually the first year that my grandma and I watched them all. And I'm really happy we did that now. Yeah. And actually it was because of this podcast that that happened because we always used to make an effort, but we had never seen them all and we watched them all last year. So I would hug you if we weren't on a recording. (laughs) So thanks to Alexa's grandma, Jean, for in her own way, bringing all this together. Yeah. from both sides now from up and down still somehow it's cloud illusions I recall I really don't know clouds at all The next one that I watched is Coda. I'm let's happy do, to do that if you let's want. Let's do that because it's a um, uh, a lighter one. So let's let's do that. Is it? I thought so. <laughs> but it was heartwarming is how I would describe Coda. Yes. Yes. Uplift. It was sad. I just did a some... lot of crying. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. You did? Yes. <laughs> I, I, loved the, I loved Coda. I thought it was so, so, so good. Oh my God. I'm so happy to hear that. I don't know why I, for some reason thought you were going to like it. How come? I don't know why. I think it was, I, it was actually the first one that I watched. And my first thought was, dear God, it's about singing. Now there's like two about that have a lot of singing in them. I know it's not your favorite thing. (laughs) Okay. This is funny. The scene where they're, um, I got to look at their names hold on i don't know their names either wait is leo her the guy who became her boyfriend oh he looks so different no that's her brother i was like why does he look so different <laughs> why is he not on here they're not showing me who played him the boyfriend yeah when i google it when i google it to look at the cast mm-hmm. oh my god is that him <laughs> i have to look at who it is what you're looking <laughs> oh my at god. Wait, don't look it up. Don't look it up. I'm okay. going to screenshot it. Okay, please do. I want you to get the same results as I had. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the scene where Ruby and Miles are in her room and they start singing together. I actually laughed to myself because I thought, <laughs> first I thought, this is beautiful. I love this. And then I thought, Alexa 
is going to watch the scene thinking Catherine's going to hate this. Yes. I thought the second she walked into like choir practice, I was like, tell me this movie is not about singing. I was like, it's bad enough. She has to watch West Side Story. She has to watch a whole movie about this woman learning to sing. I loved it. I'm I'll so, tell you why it felt different. Oh, so glad even you didn't ask. Um, first of all, I knew the songs. Mm, that does help you second i thought her singing voice was stunning yeah and third there was a purpose to the singing Mm. it wasn't just bursting into song in the middle of a normal moment right okay yes that is key for you so this has really solidified the reasons that we figured out previously yeah it does it really (laughs) does I have some broad things and then um, and then my favorite, I have two favorite moments through the whole thing. First of all, the actor who played her father, Troy Kutzer, I think is how you say his name. He was incredible. Yeah. He ju- he won the Golden Globe and I'm really, really happy that he did. And I was, I'm so happy that he's nominated for the Oscar for supporting. I thought he was absolutely incredible. And her brother too was so good. And how amazing was the music teacher? Did he give you like Stanley Tucci vibes? Because he totally did. And I was obsessed with him. He made me want to go back to high school and be in his choir. I loved him so much. So cute. He actually does have Stanley Tucci vibes a little bit. I don't know what it was about him, but for some reason he just gave me like nothing about the way he looked or acted or anything. It was just some, his energy felt like Stanley Tucci to me. I loved the way that he called her to be greater. Yes. The expectations he set for her only because he knew that she had the ability to meet them. Yeah. It gave me such an authentic, like high school experience. Yeah. There are teachers like that for so every one of us has a teacher that maybe not as impactful as him because he literally altered her life. Everyone has a teacher who has stood out as more than a teacher and he is more than a teacher. And it was so like cool to see that kind of role. It was really nice to see that he loved what he did so much. And when she asked about why he was a teacher and he explained, this is what I was meant to do. And this is, this is what I'm great at. Well, and she says something like, you wouldn't last two days at Berkeley. Out. Go. Well, it's not like that school did you any good. You have what, 17 years on this planet? You don't know shit. You want to know who I'm a teacher? I'm good at this. But I can't do my job unless you do yours. And I certainly don't need a lesson in failure from someone who's too afraid to even try. And the way that he doesn't bite back at that, I thought was so good. Yeah. The first time they're jumping off the... That tall cliff, the rock, yeah. made me so nervous. I thought something was going to happen. I thought that for a split second, and then <laughs> I didn't think that that was where the movie was headed. So I, I just pushed it away. I'm so glad it was not headed there. <laughs> One thing that was a very cool experience for me is that when they're at her show, I almost called it a recital. What's the right word? I think for recital it? is. Okay. Right. They do the first number. And then when her and Miles come out to do their duet, Mm -hmm. I muted the sound because I wanted to hear what it was like for the parents to watch her perform and not be able to hear it. So I muted the sound for, I don't know, a minute or something. 
And then I unmuted it and there was no sound. And I was like, wait, what? And I, I closed my app and reopened it and restarted it. Cause mm-hmm. I felt something happened and it got stuck on mute or something. And I skipped back and went forward and, and then I realized that the they, they muted, muted the sound <laughs> to show us what yeah. the parents were experiencing. Yeah. It was such a, a that's wild weird moment. <laughs> you were in tune. You knew that the movie needed that. <laughs> I'm so glad that they did that though. Yeah. It really, because especially because we got to hear them sing it together a yes. couple of times. So yeah. we know how amazing it was. Exactly. Exactly. And then to experience it like the parents did and well, and her brother, her family, that was really powerful. Yeah. And it was really cool to see like what they not only like felt, but also were how they experienced it by like looking around and and seeing how others were responding and that that was kind of their cues to kind of know how it was going. I loved when her friend signed to the brother, she's good. Yes. And then the brother told the parents yes and they were like oh really like it was oh god I just loved it so much and how the mom was talking about how beautiful she looked and the dad said something about the dress and told the mom you have good taste because they they were appreciating her yeah for everything they could had the ability Mm -hmm. to appreciate yeah and then when they were signing about what do you want for dinner yeah I was like, please don't, please don't do this. Please don't yeah. do this. <laughs> I actually, so in that moment, I was actually surprised that she didn't start signing. I felt that it was headed there. I thought it was mm. going to happen in the recital. I see what they were doing. They they needed it to happen when she was auditioning for Berkeley. But I thought I had the feeling like you should sign it so that they can hear what you're saying too, to an extent. And then it ended and I was like, no. And then I realized what was going to happen. But like I felt and- that bubbling inside me. I was like, please, like, let them in. They want to know. <laughs> like- <laughs> And not only because she was going to sign at the end, but also because of the other experience that had to happen between her and her dad. Yes. Which I'm sure was one of the things you wanted to talk about. Well, actually, one of the things I wanted to talk about before that moment, I actually have three. I think I said two. I meant three. Um, One of the moments that I really loved that I've watched a couple times since is when she's rehearsing at the teacher's house and she's singing pretty And he's like, I don't want you to sing like that. And has her hands and he's like forcing her it out of her. When she finally sings. Oh, be a monster. Ah! 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 No, sing at me. I've looked at life from both sides now. From win and lose and still somehow. Yes. That's it. That's it. That's what I was waiting for. It's fucking beautiful. It was such a a riveting and intense moment. The way it like comes out of her and, and it sounds so different than what we just heard her sing, even though it was exactly the same song and the same, whatever it sounded so different. And it was incredible the way she did that. I can't believe she wasn't nominated. I I thought she was amazing. She was really not just her acting, but her signing and her singing. Yes. The kind of talent you have to have to be able to do all three of those things that well. But yes, but back to the moment when she, when they come home from the recital and, and, and they're sitting on the back of the truck. Fuck. I was sobbing so hard. (laughs) I was crying so much. 
It wasn't until her father put his, I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. I knew he was going to put his hand on her throat to feel the singing, yeah. but it wasn't until it happened that I exploded into <laughs> tears. <laughs> it was such a, such an amazing illustration of what it must be like for families who have some deaf people and some hearing people yeah. to figure out a way to experience something like that together and connect. And also that it was like kind of the first time that it had been accentuated for them that they're what, like, obviously they've lived their whole lives like that. So they have felt the differences, but it was, it was really the first time for them as a family that there was a true disconnect that they couldn't resolve in some way because like up until then, presumably they are very close knit. They're very, they're very close. It had to be the first time that, oh, they really felt the true divide of of her not being deaf as well. And so to see them try and like reconcile that and have their own feelings about it was really amazing. I was so mad at her mom at first Yeah, when she was talking about singing and her mom was so dismissive about it. And as it goes on, we find out more and more why that probably was, but I was so mad at her. Your daughter has given so much to you And especially as Ruby says at the end, I've been interpreting my whole life. Yeah. People get paid six (sighs) figures to be interpreters. It's a big fucking job. And she's been doing it since she probably was a little kid. Yeah. And so when she said, this is something I love and her mom was so dismissive about it, I was so (laughs) mad. (laughs) And the scene when she's sitting on her bed and her mom comes in and she asks her, did you ever wish that I was deaf too? Yeah. And I I thought her mom was going to say no, that I that I wanted you to be hearing because I wanted life yeah. to be easier for you. Yeah. And then when she actually says yes and explains why it's yeah, so intense. And then and then of course the end when she goes and auditions at Berkeley that whole thing was so I loved the whole sequence where they decide they're gonna go and they're late and she's not dressed like <laughs> I I just love that like moment in a movie where they're rushing to do something and it's and she's got like sign except in when it's in Notting Hill then you don't love it no I don't like it in Notting Hill. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and they go and she's like not dressed up and she feels self-conscious and then then they slip in when she's when the teacher showed up, I already started crying when she at first was going to sing a cappella, and then he comes in to play the piano. I was glad that 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 happened, but I also was like, "You guys, <laughs> I know it was a like little- a Berkeley audition, and oh, this random man shows up on the stage and is like, I can her, play it.' Her teacher, I don't even know if the judges or or whatever they are, whatever their titles are, knew that he was her teacher. Even regardless of that, he's oh, a yeah. random That's man who true. offers to play this song. It just wait, I, I was like, he this might would introduce. Not he might introduce himself as. Be- oh, he does. Oh, I, I think he says that. something that he's an alumnus and that he's like a what I think. He, he oh, gives a tiny I bit of must background. have missed that whole he thing. Did, I think he gives a little introduction, but even <laughs> still, it was that combined with the parents being in the audition behind. I was like, you guys, like we have to, <laughs> we have to make it a little, at least a little, like that colleges are not that lax with their audition process. But and still. this girl showed up not dressed appropriately and without her sheet music, and yeah. she still gets, and in. she still gets in. I was like, you guys, but... it's like four things that would never happen, but fine. It was just so emotional when she started signing in the middle. 
It really was. And when she started signing, her singing got even better. Yes. Yeah. It was almost like it had been a missing part of the whole time. Like as if it was all, it was something she should have been doing the entire time. And it was like a moment where you see her realize that that's like the missing component of what she needed to do. I just now realized that there's sign language in three of the 10 best picture nominees. What's the third? Dune. Oh, shit. You're right. Wow. You know what else I really loved? When when her teacher was asking her how the song made her feel and mm. she couldn't, she didn't have the words for it. And so she signed it. Yes. I thought that was so cool. That's a beautiful movie. When she's leaving to go to college and then she tells her friend, wait, wait, stop. And she jumps out and runs back to hug oh. her dad again. I was like... <laughs> So yeah, good. I loved it. I loved it. I was so good. Definitely deserving. All right, guys. So we're going to take a quick break, which for you will probably be 10 seconds long. <laughs> and we'll see you in a bit. All right, we're back. And we're ready to talk about Don't Look Up. Sure. Let's talk about Don't Look Up. You and I both watched Don't Look Up back in January. It was like, I think it was the very first day of 2022 we watched it. We started the year by watching the world end. Anxiety-inducing nightmare. (laughs) I did rewatch the only good scene in the movie last night. Which was the end. The end, yeah. Oh, maybe we should start by saying about like what our journey has been getting to Don't Look Up existing. So if you guys have been with us since the beginning, we've talked about it a number of times over the year and a half that we've been doing this podcast. When the cast for Don't Look Up was announced, Alexa and I immediately got on a phone call and it was like... We lost our minds, honestly. We lost our minds. You are correct. It was it was one of the most exciting things ever. So to say that we had high expectations is underestimated. As we got closer to it, I did try and temper them because I had started to learn a little bit more about what it was about. And I saw a trailer and I was thinking, relax, Alexa. It might not be as good as you <laughs> hoped it would be. And uh, unfortunately, was not. It was disappointing. Yeah. I I just like my biggest disappointment is that I really just didn't think it was funny. I thought there were definitely funny moments, but overall it wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to feel a lot like the big short. Yeah. And I didn't, it didn't feel anything like that. No. That's really what I was expecting and what I was hoping for. And to see this cast in something that felt similar to that was really exciting to me. So that was disappointing. The story wasn't that great. Yeah. The acting was amazing. Yeah. Meryl was perfect. Leo was perfect. (laughs) Timmy was hysterical. Anything that I did laugh at came from Meryl or Timmy is what. Or Jonah. Or Jonah. Yes. (laughs) That was anything that I did laugh at came from them. But I just didn't think it was that funny. And mostly I was just stressed out. It just felt all too real. I think that as far as a parody or an exaggeration of a situation that we were it was barely like, it was barely that it <laughs> honestly didn't it felt if someone told me this happened and we just didn't know that would not come as a surprise <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um it was more just scary to think about if this were to really happen that this would be the fate we all have uh, one of the real thrills for me was finding out that a lot of Ariana Grande's stuff was improvised 
Yes. <laughs> and that she wrote the song she sings about, about looking up. She's so great. I love her. That actually was very funny. When it got to the part, once they were past the, like, they were trying to convince them and it was just like, they were on the campaign for looking up, don't look up. That actually was, I laughed at some of that stuff. I thought it was funny. As we just spoke about, you may have heard, I don't know if Alexa cut it out or not, but if you're hearing me say this, she left it in. <laughs> One of Alexa's core fears in life is telling the truth and not being believed. Yeah. And this was that magnified times a trillion as, as magnified as it can be. The world is about to end and nobody believes you. Like, what's bigger than that? <laughs> Needless to say, the breakdown that J-Law's character had was a microcosm of what I would be. It would be a <laughs> fraction of the experience that I would have when she flips out. I would have gotten there much faster and it would have been much more intense. <laughs> but the only part that was good was from when Dr. Mindy, Kate, and Yule are in the car on the way to their grocery store. From that moment on, it's like the last 25 minutes is the only good part of the movie. I love the warmth of the scene when they go back to Dr. Mindy's wife's house and he asks her if they can come inside for have dinner. And then when they're preparing the dinner and they're all talking and having a nice time, that's really beautiful. And then when they sit down and are trying to have as normal of a conversation as they can and Kate and Dr. Mindy basically just sit and say a bunch of times that they're happy they tried. And they're trying to keep it as normal as possible. That's the only good scene in the whole thing, in my opinion. So a mediocre movie ends on a really good note. Yeah. And then there's a post credit scene that destroys all yep. of that. Yeah. Where Meryl is naked and killed by a dinosaur. Yep. Moving on. Needless to say, I don't think it even deserved a nomination, to be honest. I don't either, which is really sad with a cast like that. I know, but that's why it got nominated. I think they were like, we yeah. can't, everybody who is They were like, Meryl, Hollywood. Meryl's not going to be in a movie that we're not going to nominate. <laughs> 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 Talk about the world ending. That yeah. would be it. They're like, we can't ignore it. Everybody in Hollywood is in this movie. <laughs> we can't just brush it off. All right. So you want to talk about King Richard next? Sure. I fucking loved this movie how amazing was every single person in it <laughs> so good i just can't i am a sucker for sports movies the fact that neither of the girls was nominated makes me so angry they were incredible i thought ingenue was amazing but she didn't have nearly as much screen time as the girls mm -hmm. i thought if if only one of them could have been nominated I, I thought it should have been one of the actresses who plays the daughters. Yeah. Why don't they like nominating younger people? I don't know. It's almost like they don't feel like they've earned it. It's like sometimes the Oscars treat them as individual movies, like just looking at this one performance and then, and then sometimes they treat it like as a lifelong career kind of a thing. Yeah. So they can't and make I, up their mind about which one it is. And I can understand when someone gets to a certain point in their career where they've where they have a huge catalog of work behind right. them that it makes sense to give them a nomination or even a win. Right. But I don't think it should work in the reverse way. I know. Or just because someone's only done one or two things that they don't deserve to win. Totally. 
it was the only one of the best picture noms that I was watching that suckered my dad into sitting down and watching it. He did. Okay, cool. It, he was walk. He walked through the room of many of these as I was watching them. And <laughs> as dads do. As dads do. And this was the only one where he stood and watched many scenes and then finally relented and sat down. Wow. And watched the entire thing. That is it's too bad. We don't have that on video because yeah. that belongs on TikTok. A dad finally relinquishes and sits down. Yeah. I knew he would. It's so up his. That's alley. like observing a dinosaur in the wild. He's a huge Will Smith fan. He loved. It, it was very funny. And one thing we talked about, which was one of my favorite parts of it, was it was so nice to watch a sports movie. I mean, it's often the case, but it was so nice to watch a sports movie where I knew what happened, so I didn't have to be stressed <laughs> out that he was going to be like making decisions that like cost them their career. Like yeah. I know that it all ends up fine. <laughs> yeah. So, Venus and Serena are totally okay. Yeah. So I don't have to worry as things, as it gets a little rocky that he's made decisions that have completely <laughs> damaged their careers. That's um, such a good point. So it was really nice to just be along for the ride. And I really loved it. I know that it will not win best picture, mm. but I do wish that I could give it best picture because yeah. it was really great. Also, I formed a theory about Will Smith. <laughs> can't wait. I think this has been a long time coming and I'm sure this is not unique to me. I'm sure a lot of people have thought of this, but Will Smith loves taking on roles where he plays someone who will stop at nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because it's a quality that he appreciates and cultivates in himself. Also a caveat to that. I also think a lot of his roles are a father that will stop at nothing. Mm, A lot of his roles are where he's a father that will stop at nothing. It was so beautiful to watch, to just stop at nothing. He was so certain and to invest his entire life to get them to that point. It was really, really touching. I don't know any actor who whose roles make me fall in love with him as a person more than Will Smith. That is so true. And I know we're all a little bit irritated by him and all the intimate details of his private life that we've been subject to against our wills. But <laughs> putting that aside, every time I watch him in something, it makes me love him more when I when I think I couldn't love him more. And it was really cool. I, as we were getting towards the end, I was just getting excited for the part I knew was coming, which is like when it fades to black and they tell you about like all the amazing things that they've done. And like, (laughs) I was like, so like when she loses, which I didn't know, by the way, we thought my dad and I were making jokes as we were watching it. We're like, oh, like when they said the opponent's name, he's like, do you know, do you even know who that is? Like, like, (laughs) like, I think we know what happens kind of thing. Um, So when she loses, I was just so pumped for the moment I knew was coming next, which is when it fades to black and and has this the text on the screen that tells us what happened to them after and all the clips they put in of them in real life. What and an adrenaline it rush was, it is. It was so cool and amazing. Especially because for the last few minutes, when that girl is in the bathroom and we watch that whole thing play out, I was enraged. I was on <laughs> fire with anger. I was so mad. I was like, this honestly is should be. I'm like, where are the rules? How can there not be any rules against this? This is totally unfair. We know what she's doing. It's not right. I was so mad. I was like hoping they booed her when she came out of the bathroom. I was like, this is insane. They all know what's going on. I was so mad. (laughs) I was so mad. I also, I didn't know much about them. 
I don't really know much about tennis as a whole in general. I really am not. I didn't know. I actually didn't know that Serena is the better of the two. Oh, you didn't? I did not know that she was the better of the two. It was so interesting to know that because my dad told me when we were watching it, he's like, that Serena's better. And I was like, so interesting that Venus was the one that like started it and like had the natural like draw at first that everybody kind of saw that she was the better of the two for then Serena to be the one that was better. Yeah. And for but him like to he, know, like, yes, he says, yeah. Yeah. For him to and know when he says that to her, they're standing like at the arena and he's talking to Serena about how I know it must be hard for you to, to watch this happen for Venus. I know you love Venus. And all this is exciting, but it's a little hard for you too, huh? Can I tell you a secret? Your sister is going to be number one in the whole world, no doubt about it. I know that. But you, you're going to be the best there ever was. You're going to be the greatest of all time. You know how I know, because I planned for it. I knew you was having a hard time in Venus's shadow, but I kept you there because I knew you was rough. I knew you was tough. I knew you was a fighter. That's why I did this whole thing like this. Go and take that in. You up next. Did you know that I met Venus at the U.S. Open? No. The same U.S. Open where I met Tay Diggs. What a day, baby. My boyfriend at the time, his aunt worked for Comcast. So she gave us their company seats, which were the best, most perfectly placed seats you could possibly get. It was amazing. It was just after after her match. She came up to the edge. I, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but... For some reason, I feel like, oh, I know what it was. A ton of the stadium had already cleared out because oh. after her match, she was giving an interview and then getting some of her stuff together and she was doing a bunch of stuff. So I would say probably 98% of the stadium had cleared out at that point. And we just stuck around so that when she was done, she came up to the bar or the whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. And I just was like a total dope. I was like, OMG. Did you and she signed my ticket and stuff. And oh my God. It that's... was very, it was a very surreal moment. That is so cool. It, what's weird is that I don't know if it's like this for everyone, but you never really know what celebrities are going to make you starstruck. Mm. I've seen other celebrities before, even like um, ones that I haven't met, but I've just seen in passing, mm-hmm. like on the street in New York or whatever. And I'd go like, oh, there's so-and-so or, but there's something about certain people. And let me tell you, Venus Williams is one of them. And I'm a tennis fan. I'm a casual tennis fan. Mm. I know who the big people are. I enjoy watching it, but I'm not, there's an enormous amount of stuff I don't know, Mm -hmm. but meeting Venus Williams is like, (laughs) it's like an out of body experience. I loved when they were showing the clips at the end and and my dad and I were laughing about how there's times when they play doubles with each other. It's like, please, like who is, who is, who is opposing them and thinking like, let's go and let's do this. I saw a TikTok the other day 
of Serena, she was out uh, like taking a walk with her husband or something. Uh-huh. And they came, it was at night. So nobody was really on. They just came across one court where two guys were playing. Oh, yeah. And Serena says to the camera, like, I'm going to go ask one of them if I can play the winner. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> so she walked up to the, the fencing. She didn't even say anything. She just walked up to it. And it was, the court was a little bit lower down. So she was sort of standing above them a little bit, looking down through the fencing. And the guys j- just sort of glanced over because there was a person there. And then they realized who it was. And they were both like, holy <laughs> Like, (laughs) just imagine being Serena or Venus and being in these tournaments and then ending up playing your sister constantly. The absolute power of being women of color in a majority white sport and being two of the best that have ever done it and having the entire stage because you're playing each other. Yeah. Like it was so beautiful when he tells, when he talks to her on the court, like when he's deciding about whether or not he's going to allow her back to play in, in tournaments um, after they go to Florida. And then she wants to play in that tournament Um, when he gives her the speech about how it's an enormous amount of pressure and how she's not just playing for herself, but for anybody that looks like her. This next step you got to take. It it would be hard for anybody. But for you, you're not going to just be representing you. You're going to be representing every little black girl on earth. And you're going to be the one got to go through that gate. And I just never wanted you to look up and see your daddy running away. And my dad actually told me that he's read an interview that Tiger Woods' father said the exact same thing to him, that when he started it, he was basically like, you're not just doing this for you. Yeah. I think a lot of Black parents have that conversation sort of generally with their kids. Like even the mistakes that you made make or pretty much anything you do, good or bad, ends up representing who Black people are as a whole. Our love is a lie. All right, next is licorice pizza, which I cringe just saying. I hate that title so much. It's really bad. Wait, what does it even mean, actually? What did it come in the, to play in the movie? What's licorice pizza? Not, not that I caught. What's licorice pizza? Which annoys me even more. Why is it called that? I have some things to say. Blame on me. It's annoying that it's called that. Yeah. That's not the thing I had to say, but I just want to say that again. It's very annoying. It's so cheesy. Yeah, it really is. So Paul Thomas Anderson directed this. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that he has written almost every single thing that he's directed. I just learned that when I watched this. Mm -hmm. He did write this as well. The first maybe 15 minutes of it, I was thinking to myself, this has Boogie Nights energy. The stories are not the same at all, but the energy feels like it. I, I went into it knowing nothing about it whatsoever. So I Googled who directed it. Mm hmm. And found that Paul Thomas Anderson also directed Boogie Nights. 
mm-hmm. and wrote and directed. Both. Yeah. So that makes sense. He he must have a distinct sort of like what we talked about in last week's episode, or maybe it was the week before that he he has a distinct style. Clearly. Yeah. I don't have the knowledge to identify what his style is, mm-hmm. but it's distinct enough that it reminded me of one of his other movies. Yeah. Um, I think that he definitely has a distinct style. I can't speak to it because what I was just going to say is I've never seen a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, except this was my first one ever. Oh. Um, so I don't have a lot of history with him. I don't really know much about him. I know that his movies. You didn't see There Will Be Blood? No. I haven't seen Magnolia. I haven't seen Inherent Vice, Phantom Thread, Boogie Nights. Never seen any of them. So seeing as how I, like I said, I went into this knowing nothing. I didn't even know anything about the cast. I mm-hmm. knew Bradley Cooper had a small part, but that was the only thing I knew. Did you know anything about the cast going in? In regards to... Well, I immediately was like, whoever this kid is playing Gary mm-hmm. is so fucking charismatic. I need to know who he is. And then I looked him up and cried for probably the like another 30 minutes of the movie. Do you know who he is? No. Who is he? He's Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. It made me so emotional that I, like I said, I cried for probably 30 minutes after I found that out. Just here and there. It just kept, my eyes kept welling up with tears. Holy shit. Uh, Philip and Paul Thomas Anderson did, I want to say like four or five movies together. And he was the one who asked Gary to read for it. Gary didn't even want, not Gary, that's not his real name. Hold on. (laughs) Cooper. Cooper didn't even have the desire to be an actor. Paul talked him into reading for it. And he sort of shrugged and said like, fine, whatever, I'll fine. I'll give it a shot. I am. He was born to be an actor. He's so good. He has such a presence and he reminds me. Oh my God. I'm sorry. It's okay. He reminds me so much of his dad. Now that I say it. Yeah. Right? Like now, now you get it. Like you can see it. Yes. I mean, because I mean, I obviously took note of, I mean, his performance was incredible. I actually He's thought so good. I thought everybody was, I thought, and I do know that that actually is a hallmark of his movies, Paul Thomas Anderson, that like story or whatever el- other components aside at the very, very core is like an incredibly strong lead performances is always what is like hallmarks of his movies. He makes sure that the people at the center are really, really strong. He had something you can't teach. So you're right. Alana, who is also Alana in real life. Yeah. Um, was amazing too. Yeah. I wonder if that was her first. I think it is. Cause she's from the band time with her sisters, which is the, also the, her sisters played her sisters in the movies too. I've, I don't know any of their music and I've never heard their band name say said out loud. So in my head, it's always been Haim. I think some people say Haim. I've always said Haim and I've heard people say Haim. So I think it's dealer's choice. Uh, you're, I'm sure you're probably right. I've heard people say Haim though. So this really is her first role. Yeah. Wow. She's, I wonder they must, their families must know each other or something. I don't know how he, how he found them. I had another voice thing in this one. There's a guy dressed up as Frankenstein. When uh-huh. he gets to that, whatever that thing, it's like that teen convention. There was like yeah. a teen convention or something. <laughs> and there was a guy and, it, and he's yes. sort of walking yes. around checking it out. Yes. And there's a guy dressed up as Frankenstein. Yes. Who instantly, I'm sure you had the same moment. You were like, that's John C. Riley. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
<laughs> and I, I thought he was going to come back. I thought he was going to nope. play a small part in it. And I was like, no, it's just a cameo of him dressed as Frankenstein. <laughs> what a lunatic. And then speaking of lunatics, Bradley Cooper was fucking hysterical. He was amazing. Also, another weird moment, because as soon as he turned around, I thought he looks like Barry Gitt from the Bee Gees. Oh, yes. And then when he gets in Gary's face, shit, I have a low battery warning. Fuck, 10%. When he gets in Gary's face, he says, do you know who I am? And as he's saying this, I'm thinking to myself, he looks so much like Barry Gibb that he should play him in a movie. And then he says, do you know who Barbara Streisand is? So then I thought, because I know they dated in real life. Yes. So then I said, holy shit, he's playing Barry Gibb. <laughs> and then I looked it up and he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> he played someone else that Barbara dated. So Barbara, Barbara had a type is what we're saying. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Why? Why is Sean Penn so weird? I don't know. I, that's not what I was going to ask, but it is a valid question. <laughs> what do you think it served to have him be 15 and her to be 25? I, that's actually the main reason why I disliked it overall. Like I, I just, I don't know what it did for the story. I thought he could have been 17 and she could have been 25 or yeah. 23. And and that still could have played a part. If he was 17 and she was 23, mm-hmm. it could have been the exact, every yeah. other facet could have been the exact same, except that when they finally do realize that they basically love each other, yeah. that it would have sort of been okay. I, I but when can't... he's 15... 16 and she's 25 26 it's there's no right you can't you don't approach a place where that's okay for another like two decades exactly and that no one decade yeah and that's and that i just i don't know i couldn't understand what the purpose point was was. i think the story could have been exactly the same but him just been a little older so it's not literally her kissing a fucking 15 year old and then we can we can say, okay, so he's 17 now. So in two or three years, you know, when he's 20 yeah. years old and she's 27 or whatever, fine. But- I just like, I don't know. I didn't understand. I thought it would play a bigger point and then it didn't. And I was like, why? Why even, is it just to purposely be controversial? Like, I don't know what, I just didn't get it. And that kind me of neither. kept me from liking it. Um, there were, I thought there were some great scenes and I liked the vibe overall. I love that it was like 70s. I, lo- I think some of it was really great. Something just kept me from connecting with it. And I don't know if it was that, that I just couldn't stop thinking about it, that it was so weird and I, and it f- felt off the whole time. Especially because he was 18 or so when he filmed it. Yeah. And he seems older than 15. Yes. And it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't add anything. And he's such an atypical 15-year-old, too. Like, it's not even like he's, like, a 15-year-old who we, like, see in math class. Like, we don't... So I don't know. Why? Why was he 15? (laughs) Yeah, it left me confused. I was confused, too, because it just seemed like quite a statement to be making that at the end of it, we're going to just condone that this 25-year-old is presumably what? Going to date a 15-year-old? Like, what is yeah, this very weird. presumed end here? It, it, it seemed like they did not discuss it nearly enough. It was just a thing that he put out there, never really addressed, never had any kind of point. And then it ended with them presumably together. It was weird. 
<laughs> and what they're not going to have sex for a right. handful of years like, until it's it, even legal it doesn't it's make just sense like, it's i don't know weird. it's just icky and strange Yes. Another thing I found out about Paul Thomas Anderson is that he's been with Maya Rudolph for the last 20 years and they have like four or five kids together. What? I did I not knew, I knew know that, that she had four or five kids, but I didn't know they were with him. Literally had no, this is brand new information. I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> not a clue. I apparently know nothing about Paul Thomas Thank God we don't Anderson. present ourselves as experts because Please, this, this will show. This, <laughs> this will show. <laughs> All right, so up next is Dune. I'm dying to know what you thought. <laughs> I'm dying to know what you thought. <laughs> Do you want to know what my mom thought? <laughs> sure. Donna, tell us. My mom's text about Dune. It's three lines. She put li- she skipped lines in between. So she said Dune, that's the first line. Two and a half hours too long. Time I'll never get back. <laughs> I totally disagreed. Same. I loved it. I understood probably... 40% of it. If that, let's being generous. I un- I understood 40% of it through the second half. Once I had like kind of <laughs> gotten on board the first half, forget it. It was like, honestly, I was an hour in before I really could even understand what was happening. Despite the fact that I couldn't, I loved every second of it. Me too. Mostly what was most exciting to me is it just felt like the start of something that's going to be like a long series of movies that I was really yeah. excited about. And when I looked it up and I saw that they're planning to do three, I was depressed. Wait, isn't it? I want like six. But wait, is there, there's only three, but aren't there three just for Dune? And then aren't there more books? I I don't know how many books there are. Maybe there will be more and they just I'm won't sure be there called will be. Dune. Because they're just covering the first, like, they're just covering Dune, I think, is is what their plans are right now. This is, this is just part of one book. Here's what I want to say. And this is coming from someone who has no right to be saying this whatsoever, but I'm going to say it anyway. Mm-hmm. Remember how hard we were making fun of whatever publication that was that said Dune is the next Star Wars? Oh, yeah. I changed my mind about making fun of that i don't know if i'll go that far i'm very well, i'm going that far i don't think i stand behind that statement and i will tell you why what really pushes me over the edge to go that far is that the books were written before star wars even existed mm-hmm. and a lot of star wars came from the story of dune so if it's well made enough in however many sequels there are going to be hmm it is on the same level. But what do you mean that a lot of the story of Star Wars came from Dune? <clears throat> Look it up. Like George Lucas has said that he read Dune and and that is what... I don't know that George Lucas has explicitly said that, like that concisely and clearly. Uh-huh. But yes, it's like a known thing in the world of Dune and maybe Star Wars. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess if it was known in Star Wars, you would probably know because you know everything. But yes. If Dune had not existed, that Star Wars would not have been. Interesting. All right. For those reasons, I'm on Shark Tank now. I actually am kind of like, you know what? 
Yeah. All right. I'm going to withhold for now. I don't know if I can say that. Well, this is also coming from someone who's only seen two of the (laughs) nine Star Wars (laughs) and only as recently as like two months ago. Yeah. So uh, like I said in the beginning, this is coming from someone who has no right to be saying it. (laughs) But I just, it felt so epic and so, like you said, like it's the start of something. Yes. And what I will say is I actually like that I did not know what was going on for a lot of it, because what that means to me is that for people who are really impassioned about Dune, they must be really jazzed about this because- this has the fact that it was so complicated and that I barely could follow what was happening for a lot of it means that it's probably it's not dumbing anything down for people. It's just they're just making really good adaptations of the story. And I'm sure that people who are really excited about that are very pleased with how this came out. Yeah. Uh, shout out to my friend, Jeremy, who is a fan of the books. And okay. I, now I can't wait to discuss this with him because he will answer the 57,000 <laughs> questions that I have. I think Denis was born on this earth to make these movies. I do not think there's a single director who could have done it better. It was just cool. I thought everything about it was cool. learning about what the rules of the world are that's always the hardest part when it comes to like introing into a new like series is trying to figure out what what are like the confines of the story and the rules of the world and like the powers that they have and like who has these powers and what do they do and all and like the hierarchy of the characters and how the world works always takes a long time But I was so fascinated to learn as much as I could. I completely agree. Also, if this doesn't win the Oscar for best sound, I'm never watching the Oscars again. (laughs) It felt a lot like Arrival, which of course I knew aspects of it would. The exact way that I wanted it to feel like Arrival, it did. It was just such a good vibe. I I loved it. I would have, if it was six hours long, I would have been fine with that. It flew by. I yeah. really, it flew by. I was almost at the end and the, and, and I could like feel it coming to a point where it was going to stop. And, and I was like, no way. I was like, no way am I almost done with this movie. There's no yeah. way it's been two and a half hours. I loved it way, way more than I was even expecting to. I see what people mean about Zendaya not being in it that much. But it yeah, actually but it's clear, felt like, totally right. Yeah. It's clear that she'll just, she'll be the key, a key person in the next one. That's right. The, Gives this... us something to look forward to. Exactly. I do have a couple small complaints. Okay. For a decent portion in the beginning, I thought Timmy's acting seemed a little effortful. I agree. I could feel him acting. It's not that I would say he was bad. No. But I could just feel the effort behind it. I actually think it went for more than what you're saying. I think it was... A large portion of it felt effortful. And while that is slightly disappointing, I'm okay with it because we're we're watching him grow into the actor. That I was just going to say, and also this is like a totally new ground for him. I mean, this is, yeah. I mean, this is much more like action based than his roles usually are much less like, not that there's not introspection to the character, Paul, but it, on a whole, it's much more geared to the what's going on rather than like dialogue per se, but some, but he still had some really great moments. Um, I love when he 
sees the little see this is i'm gonna apologize for everybody because i imagine this is what it's like people who don't know like star wars and stuff and don't know what yeah. things are called <laughs> and what everything is so i'm, I'm sorry but when the little insect that's going to try and kill him is in the room and that sequence was great when it came yeah. in i thought his response to it and his acting as like the sole person in the scene was really good also when he's in the ship with his mother and they're in the storm that was a really good scene too yeah another complaint that i had first of all jason momoa needed to be in this a hundred percent agree with him being in this <laughs> however and I sort of said this to you before that I maybe felt this way and now it's confirmed. His The way that he's speaking is too modern. It feels like he's in a 2021 action movie. Which is so weird because... You're about to say that he was in Game of Thrones, Yes, right? which is what's yeah. weird. Which like that I he, haven't seen, so I, I haven't know. either, but it would be weird that he wouldn't... He, his, his speaking would feel modern because he literally comes from this series <laughs> that's not modern at all. Do you... Do you agree with that? I do. Or... I do. But I don't know if it, part of me felt like all of them kind of felt that way, though. Oh, okay. I thought I thought Oscar Isaac was like that, too, a little bit. I did sort of feel like he was, it was a little, a little casual. I don't know, like a little modern. Like, I think the scene when they... Um are saving the people that are on the drill that are that are collecting the spice and they have to save those people. Oh, it was a drill? I think they were like sifting or drilling. I don't know what it okay, I, I, I I'm not sure that. what it, yeah. its actual function what they was doing, but the the spice collector, whatever that machine was that they were in, when they were saving those people, his I don't know, there was something that felt too, a little too modern for me in that in that scene. Are both Oscar and Jason does this mean they're not in any of the other movies I, now because they both was, are they definitely dead? I was thinking the same thing. I don't know. I'm I don't know. Upset about that. I I Me too. I actually was upset. I was ready for them to be in many of them. I was thinking that too how like a lot of people had died and I was like, well, I don't know who's going to be in this now. Like everybody we <laughs> just got introduced to is now dead. There's only two people that we know now still alive. Yeah. The, oh yeah. The doctor too. Yes. And, and that woman who was helping. Yes. Them. The Fremen like yeah. liaison. She was, she died too. <laughs> and then my last note is I forgot Javier Bardem was in this. Really? And I was so incredibly <laughs> thrilled when he showed up. I decided as I was watching this that he's on my list of favorite actors. Really? There's something about him, not just because he's very talented, but <laughs> there's something about him that I find so magnetic and so intriguing. Anything he does, I cannot tear my eyes away from him. And not just because he's attractive. <laughs> that's like a secondary <laughs> thing. It's like how I feel about Ryan Gosling. Like, yes, he's yes. hot, but that's not why I love him. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of thing. I just... I'm so glad he's in this. If they kill him off, I'm protesting. <laughs> I wouldn't be too attached because <laughs> it seems like they kill people pretty quick and often. <laughs> I would not get too attached. I can't wait to hear what the cast is like for the second one. I know. Well, I already saw Florence Pugh was cast as somebody important. I didn't know that it even was, was done already. I thought Rebecca Ferguson as Paul's mother was mm. the most perfect casting choice. Austin Butler is in negotiations to play a big character. Mm. I do not like him. Austin Butler, who is that? Oh, he's the kid who just played Elvis in that 
new Baz Luhrmann. Oh, thing. wait, I hate him, I think. What's his last name? I already just forgot it. Austin. Austin, Austin Butler. I wish I had the depth of understanding of it to be able to verbalize why I loved it so much, but we can move on, I guess. Right? <laughs> Yeah. Is there uh, other stuff you wanted to say? I don't think so. It's just that I'm, ve- I really want to, I wish I had the next one to watch right after it was over. Me too. I was like annoyed. <laughs> I was like very annoyed. <laughs> I was when, so mad that I didn't have the next one. If they only do three, I'm going to not be okay with that. They won't. If this does come out in 2023, that means the third one is probably going to come out in 25. And I really hope that's the case because that's not that far apart. Power of the dog. Lead the way, baby. I thought this was incredible. My expectations were not nearly high enough. I I went in expecting it to be a slog, expecting not to like it at all, expecting to come out of it being like, I get why it's front running, but I didn't really like it. I loved it. I liked the parts that were in the beginning that were slow for a lot of people. I thought the How whole, come? I don't know. I just was like, I guess I was ready for it to be like that. So it didn't bother me so much. I just kind of enjoyed it. I liked getting the setup of who they all are and understanding the characters. And it was just so quiet and slow in a good way to me that it just, I was enjoying learning about them and their relationships and what they're like and reading into their lines understanding the different what they're saying versus what it means i liked seeing george and rose fall in love in their little few interactions i liked the dynamic of how phil commands a room when he's in those scenes with the men in the beginning you just get so much insight into who it's split down the middle of the movie in my opinion like you said like how there's this the beginning is a little slow and then the second half is totally different and i think that there's a split in his character you can see that the beginning is sort of establishing how everyone like kind of sees him and what his like personality is and then you learn about the facets of him later i thought benedict cumberbatch was it was amazing unbelievable who would have thought i'm not a fan of his but who would have thought benevolent cucumber would have done such a good job (laughs) it was it was nuanced and commanding and I hated him at some points and felt sorry for him and loved him. I, it was so much behind getting to know that character. When they had the mayor, I think it was the mayor over for dinner and he finally showed up. I think it was the governor and stalked around the room. He was so unbelievably terrifying Yes, without doing anything. He was menacing and evil When he is playing the banjo upstairs as she's trying to learn the piano, it is like a quiet, I was like ready for him to become like a serial killer that was killing millions of people. Like I can't, he's like a psycho in that, in the beginning. And then you see him later in those scenes with Peter and he's a totally different version of him. Yeah. But, but there's still some of that. Yes. Cause there's really scary. Yeah. Like underlining. I was not expecting it. I really wasn't. Were you expecting the end to play out the way it no. did? No. At what point did you know the son was going to murder him? Didn't at all through until the until the, I think it's rare that I'll watch a movie one way the first time and a totally different 
way the second time. I actually watched this twice for that reason, because the second it was over, I was like, I must have missed so much. And I did. I thought it was headed towards a, like where Phil and Peter were possibly going to have a a relationship similar to the one that Phil describes with Bronco. And I was so fixated on that part that I missed all the cues that he was planning to kill him. At what point, looking back on it now, at what point do you think he made that decision? Honestly, when he comes back from school and like is, he sees how his mother is. I think he sees what the short amount of time that she's been there alone with him has done to her. And when he realizes that she has completely fallen apart and he knows that it's because of him, I can kind of tell his interactions with him when he comes back and he, and he, and that all the guys are making fun of him as he's walking through the camp. I think he then is when he's deciding that he's going to like get close to Phil in a way where he then can come up with a way to kill him. So Upon first viewing, most of us thought that Phil was the one making the decision to get close to the boy. I think it was actually the opposite. Yeah, I think it was Peter trying to get closer to Phil. And I totally missed it the first time. I did too. I caught a couple things here and there, uh-huh. but I didn't piece them together. It's actually a lot. When I went back and knew, I there was actually pretty obvious things that I couldn't believe that I missed. Yeah. So for example, one of the things that I caught, but didn't understand why it was happening Mm -hmm. was the thing with the hides. Yeah. So I knew that Phil didn't want anyone else to have them Mm -hmm. and that he burned them typically. So I was like, then why are they out to dry on the fence? And then once I connected later on, I don't remember what order the scenes were in now. I think the thing with the hides happened after he's building the rope at camp, right? No. uh, Well, but doesn't he need the hides to make the rope? Well, that's what I'm saying. But I didn't connect that until later on. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. So he had already started working on the rope. Then he decided that the rope was going to Peter. And then you see, and then the hides are drying. But we don't, you're right. We don't really know what they're for. We don't connect that he's using the hides to make the rope until. Yeah. But maybe that's just a silly mistake that I made to not connect them. Because now in hindsight, it's obvious that that's why they were there. Yeah. I I didn't think about it. I wasn't paying much attention to it because I was paying Mm. attention to other things. I was like trying to figure out what was going on. So when Peter goes out into the mountains, into the hills, whatever. Mm -hmm to get the hide from that cow. Mm -hmm. He knows then that it's infected with anthrax. Yes. So at that point, he obviously knows that that cow was infected with anthrax because he puts the gloves on to get the hide. Yeah. But D, I thought he was putting gloves on just to be on the safe side and that he was taking the hide to examine it and do his science. And that's what I think. I think that that's intentional. I think it's because we've already seen him dissecting the rabbit, which not a good movie for rabbits, apparently. Horrifying. (laughs) Not one, but two were, unfortunately. But I think that that's the point, is that it's not supposed to be immediately obvious that that's what he's going to use them for. Because I, I don't know... I know he had definitely made the decision and the intention, but what was really interesting to rewatch was when him and Phil come back from their ride. I have something to say when they're on their ride, but when they come back and Phil finds out that the hides that Rose gave the hides away and he's flipping out, you can, if you watch Peter, he is like, there is a lot going on there. Cause he's 
deciding, oh my God, this is going to be the moment. And you can see him deciding whether or not he's going to do it. He walks out of the room and he lets George and Phil talk and he's like listening in and he's deciding and he looks terrified. And then he goes out to the hides and he looks at them like in the strips, like ready. And you can see him deciding whether or not he's going to tell Phil that he has hides that he can use. Yeah. And And at that, that was at the point where I knew what was going to happen. I just still didn't. (laughs) I was still like not a clue what was going on. I did not make the connection at all. You can see him deciding. And then he goes back in and tells Phil that he can have the hides. And then just like the looks on his face while he's in the room with him as he's making it are chilling. And the shots of him reaching into the water with that open wound on his hand. Which I also like couldn't, I was like trying to understand what the significance was the first time because I still didn't know. I I was, I was like, this is interesting. I'm like, why so much focus? Like, is it just at the care that this is like something he loves doing? I mean, all that was true too, but I just didn't get the connection until literally the very end when they tell you. Oh, even when he died, you didn't get no, the connection. No, I then. still didn't know. I like I was like That is so oh. unlike you. I was totally unaware. I just did not understand it. I I was so hyper focused on the wrong things. I was trying to think like why isn't he there? Why isn't Peter at the funeral? Like why didn't he go with them? Where is he? I just didn't get it. And then when he rolls up the rope and slides it under yes, the bed with like, the with the gloves on. Shit. Oh my god, he's like a <laughs> It is so crazy how, and I said this to you after I watched it and before you watched it, Mm -hmm. I think I said something to you about, I can understand why someone, there are so many parts of it that are so subtle, Yes, but I can understand how someone could watch it and get to the end and think nothing really happened. Yeah. But then once you understand what happened, you realize how actually jam-packed it is. It really is. It really is because then, (laughs) then there's a ton of subtlety going on between from Phil's point of view, where you see the subtlety of Phil like noticing Peter and under almost wanting to like mirror that relationship that he used to have. And when he, when you, when there's shots of just Peter, like in the field, picking flowers and you see Phil watching him and, and see him basically like grooming him in a way to, be his whatever and it's totally he is viewing the relationship in such a different way than peter is that's the and that's the way i was reading the movie the very first time i was like only seeing it from phil's side and and the homosexual current running through and his relationship with bronco versus peter and and basically seeing all of those nuances i missed all of the stuff going on with peter and wanting to kill phil because also then I, when I rewatched when they're on their ride and they're sitting and they're eating and they're talking about Phil's, I mean, uh, Peter's dad, Phil's talking about his mom and he's like, she's on the sauce. Like you're, I'm sure your dad was the same way. And Peter's telling a story about how he found his dad. And, um, but one of the things that I noticed on my rewatch was Phil's talking about how Rose is drinking and Peter says, yeah, she never used to drink. And then like, side eyes Phil I'm like holy fucking shit he's visibly mad at him in the scene and I didn't even know the first Me time neither. I watched I knew something was there yeah but 
it's so much more obvious it's once so, all the pieces once are put I together. Knew, once I knew he killed him and rewatched it, I was like, I honestly cannot believe I didn't see you. He's like visibly <laughs> plotting as he's with Phil. He's an absolutely incredible actor. I saw that in a bunch of interviews, Benedict spent a lot of the time talking about the undercurrent of homophobia and toxic masculinity. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool of him to highlight. Yeah. Because it would have been such a different story without that. If Phil had just been able to be who he was, even if he was closeted, obviously we don't want that to be the case for anyone. We Mm -hmm. don't want anyone to have to feel that way. But even if it was just that, Mm -hmm. it would have been a different story. Yeah. But the drive for him to be this hyper-masculine rancher. Yeah is what led to his demise. Because like so much of, for the beginning, you can tell Phil is so visibly uncomfortable by Peter's presence because he exudes a more feminine side of being a man. Mm-hmm. And and even when he tells Peter, like, don't let your mom make you a sissy, he says that to him. And you, you could tell he's really struggling with his presence there because he yeah. it, it's forcing him to confront how he feels. Exactly. He hates in Peter what he is ashamed of in himself. Yep. This is the first thing I've seen Jesse, is it Plemons, Mm -hmm. in. And I completely understand how Kirsten Dunst is in love with him. Oh, it's not the first thing, actually. I saw him in, um, last year he was in Judas and the Black Messiah. Right. I know him from Breaking Bad. He he plays. Oh, a, I didn't know he, he was plays in a that. he plays a a major character on Breaking Bad in the later seasons. He's really he, I remember noticing him even then. I mean, the caliber of acting on Breaking Bad is nothing short of insanely good. So even minor characters are really really great actors. But he was a standout. He's like a psycho in fucking Breaking Bad. <laughs> I love them together. I hope they are together forever. I know it was so cute to think about them like filming their scenes together yeah i love when she's i love when they're in the kitchen and she's crying and he puts her hand his hand on her back i was like this is so tender and sweet he is so sweet oh if you guys like interiors architectural digest recently did their house tour really it's really interesting he wasn't in it just kirsten was in it with the designer Mm -hmm. um but it's really really interesting she has a lot of antique pieces that have Mm -hmm. a lot of meaning to her that she's collected over the years and really interesting stuff interesting it's not a typical celebrity home i'm really happy that all all four of them are nominated right i think so which i'm really happy about Oh, he's going to be in that new Scorsese Leo movie too. Oh, cool. Killers of the Flower Moon. (laughs) Did you get little Call Me By Your Name vibes from the scenes where he's in the grass with the the lake? I did. When he was like bathing. It just reminded that like. Oh, yes. The the scene in the forest when and then when he has the cloth. I, yes, but only a flicker because even when he was in those vulnerable moments he was still so scary fucking frightening <laughs> yeah that i i was in a it was mindset. just like the setting that i mostly was was it reminded totally me of. yes yeah i agree <laughs> it reminded me of when peter finds the box of stuff and then walks through that little whatever tunnel yeah. like thing and finds him there 
I was terrified. I thought he was going to kill him. Yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised. Phil has definitely killed somebody. We don't know who it is, but he's killed someone. All in all, I like the breadth of work this year better than last year. I liked that they were all very, they all felt different, different themes, different energies. I enjoyed watching a lot of them. I did not enjoy watching most of them, but I'm glad we did it. (laughs) What? Really? But you liked so many of them. What do you mean? Like for instance, drive my car after the fact, I was glad I watched it. But as I was, that's not what I I would highlight as being enjoying it. I enjoyed West Side Story was a misery every second. Oh, here, I'll tell you. Okay. I hated every second of West Side Story. Okay. Even though there are things I appreciated about it, as I was watching it, I hated every second. Nightmare Alley, okay. Belfast, hated every second. Drive my car, I didn't hate, but it was three hours of, of, slow coda i liked don't look up in king richard i you know i don't know even licorice pizza felt too long it was too slow i was bored for half the time very very Dune, i loved every second of and power of the dog I, the first half i was like i don't know if i'm gonna make it to the end wow i totally disagree on so many i hated belfast just checked out through most of it um coda i loved was engaged the whole time don't look up I was unfortunately engaged, but did not enjoy. Drive my car, liked parts of it. <laughs> um, Dune, I loved every second. Rick King Richard, I loved every second. Licorice Pizza, again, was checked out for some reason. I don't know why. I was in a mood when I watched that. Nightmare Alley, I liked. <laughs> I thought it was fine. Power of the Dog, I loved. And Wesson Story, I was obsessed with for two days. <laughs> you were obsessed with for two days? I like Is watched the it like funniest three and times. cutest thing. <laughs> and like oh listened to the soundtrack. I that was like so cute. You were so cute. <laughs> Uh, you know what I think my problem was? Okay. We've talked about this already between us. I think I waited too long to watch them. So I had to watch 10 Best Picture nominees in one week, mm-hmm. many of which were over two and a half hours long. Yeah. It it very, very almost instantly turned it into a job. Yeah. I didn't find it to be a job because I normally do this process. It is... This, the only thing I didn't enjoy was that I, I, I did wait a little too long and had to watch two in a, in one sitting, which I never did. Um, I used to watch when I watch them every year, I watch one. And then a couple of days later, I watch another one. And then a couple of days later, I watch another one. So it's still pretty condensed and it does feel like I'm checking them off the list. So that doesn't bother me so much. Just play it cool, boy. Hey guys, Alexa here. We were rambling and Catherine's computer died. So this is your wrap up for the episode. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes and give us a follow on Instagram. We are tickets, please pod. Thanks till next time.